Well, I haven't preached a sermon in a few weeks, so if I'm a little rusty, you'll have to bear with me somewhat. But hopefully by the time I get done, you'll be saying, man, he preached a long sermon today, but sure, it was awesome. So I'm just setting you up already for what to expect. Um, it, uh, it, it's been a, it's been a oh, as I mentioned earlier, it, it's been a pretty wild experience the past uh, several weeks uh, going through what we've had to go through. And, and it seems like there always is some connection between the things that um, we, I, I'm called to preach on as I do my preaching calendar and I map out the, the subject matter uh, in advance. Uh, it's like God allows the experiences that I go through in the course of uh, the week prior to perhaps give uh, a practical example for what it is that he's calling me to preach on. And that's one of the occupational hazards, I think, of being a pastor, is that uh, whatever you are called to teach, uh, you're also called to embody. And uh, the, 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 the more that you can embody those things that you are telling other people to believe in, uh, the more effective uh, you can be in influencing things in the way that they need to be influenced. And if that makes sense, um, perhaps you'll understand why uh, when we go through the Ten Commandments and we look at each of them, uh, we find that in some ways... Uh, we've had to deal with this subject matter in one form or another at any given time. And today, uh, as we're winding down the series that we're doing called 10, uh, based on what we read in Exodus 20, uh, which is the, the, the words that are given to uh, people that are now being recalibrated in their outlook so that they can view life differently in a better way and you know I think that's God's desire it's the desire that uh, anyone has for people that are in their care it's the desire that a parent has for their children Uh, it is the desire that we have for people that we love that we could see the best in who they are come come alive and uh, some of you have been I know hearing bits and pieces about the stories of what we've gone through uh, in the passing of my, uh, my mother-in-law and um, in, in the um, untimely death of a, of a cousin uh, that has profoundly impacted our family. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, in the case of this uh, young man, Austin, uh, who happened to be uh, six years old when I first moved out here, and then he was evolving into um, a, a responsible adult uh, in my absence. And the interesting thing about his story was um, how he uh, was born into circumstances that weren't entirely the best. Um, his, his mom unfortunately married a person who wasn't who uh, she, he made himself out to be. And it turned out this somewhat uh, seemingly hardworking construction person was actually caught up in another way of life. And the way of life in, involved drugs and things that ultimately sent him to prison. And in the midst of all of that is this young boy, Austin, who's looking at his mom and wondering where his dad is and seeing some of the confusion. And in steps my uncle, who says, we have to do everything that we can to raise this boy in the right way, to redeem the situation, to take a less than perfect um, 
uh, experience that a young child is being formed in and make it the best possible one that you can. And I honestly think there was no better person for that role uh, than my uncle Amos, who was feeling at that point in his life that uh, his, his older kids, he wished with some regrets that he had done better. And so when he saw this, this young life needing rescued, he took advantage of that opportunity and just poured himself into his life. And interestingly enough, my uncle Amos, uh, he and I are a lot alike. Uh, we're very mechanically interested. Uh, we tend to hoard things that have to do with hobbies. Like, um, uh, he, you know, my, my, the thing that I would hoard is, um, I, you know, I like motorcycles, and so I, I do some of that. His was Corvettes. He had like seven Corvettes, five of them disassembled in some form in his garage. And there's always a gap between what it could be and what it actually was. And there was a sense that there was more work to do than he himself could conceivably accomplish. And then he sees this young boy. And he recognizes that he has within him a mechanical aptitude that just needs to be uh, watered and fertilized a little bit. And so my Uncle Amos for 12 years just spent a lot of time together working with their hands, putting Corvettes back together, um, working around um, uh, the property of, of, of siblings who were not capable anymore. And just utilizing uh, all of the skill sets that God had given them. But what was so neat about it was the spirit in which they were being utilized. And the thing I like about my uncle is um, he always wants to help. He sees a need in someone's life and he's always there to help out. He's been so helpful for my mom while I've been away. The, the, the place that I would normally fill, he's, he's, he's in her life. Every day he's coming over and she's preparing him food. Not so much that he's wanting to eat, which he does, but the fact that he knows that if my mom doesn't cook for him, she won't cook for herself. And so it's a win-win for, for those guys. And in the background of his trips over to her house has been Austin in tow. And he's the one who's been cleaning out the gutters. And he's the one who has been mowing the lawn and, and doing so many things that um, uncomplainingly have made such a huge difference. And the thing about uh, his life was there was a story that was being lived out that showed that the potential of who he was called to be uh, was working out so that the characteristics that God had wired into him would begin to emerge. And they were emerging. And the thing about his story is that there was an aspect of his story that did not fit. And it was the very last episode of his life. And it was, a it was, a, it was tragically very much tied to the two verses that we have today. And, and they are this. Um, they're from, Deuteron or from Exodus chapter 15 and 16. Uh, and, and in it, God says these two things. You shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Basically, you shall not lie. Um, we would say you shall not, don't lie and don't steal. We almost get it backwards or in reverse. But the two are actually intertwined in such a way that when we do those things, we behave irresponsibly. Irresponsibly sometimes in ways that can have very catastrophic effects. 
Interestingly enough, uh, uh, when I first got the news about uh, my, my cousin passing, and it had been 12 years since I'd been with him, and, and really the only reports that I ever heard about him were overwhelmingly positive. And then uh, my mother called me, and like other, uh, another call that I received from her one time, she said, I've got some really, really bad news for you. And I knew immediately someone had died, and I thought, who, who was it? And uh, I was shocked to find this 18-year-old boy had passed. And I asked her to explain to me the circumstances around his death. And she said, I don't really know all the details. All I know is that he got into a fight. And the end result of the fight was he got, um, he got knocked out and he aspirated. And he was unable to breathe. And it created um, a situation where being on life support for two days afterwards... Uh, they eventually had to had to let him go, and I'm just completely shocked by the storyline of what I'm hearing, and I'm wondering what what was he into on the side that would cause him to be in that kind of a violent act, and it created more questions for me than it did anything. But the more I asked questions, the more the picture didn't make any sense at all. Until finally, my, my, my niece, who likes to ask a lot of questions, uh, came up with the narrative. And she said, essentially, uh, this young man had a, a girlfriend. And um, the girlfriend and he broke up and she was upset about it. And uh, there were some issues between them and he just wanted a parting of the ways. And so she tried to stir up some drama to get his attention again. And so in whatever need she had, and, I, and no one is putting any guilt at anybody's feet here, but whatever need she had, she made up the story that Austin had been repeatedly beating up on her. And if you knew Austin, he, he just knew that wasn't within his range of, 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 of things that he did relationally. And so she got another boy all stirred up about it, and he... Because of the accusations, he confronted Austin about it. And Austin finally said, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about this. Let's just get together and let's talk about it and let's settle it. And they got together and um, this fellow came out swinging. And obviously, Austin not being a fighter and this other person being somewhat more skilled at it, um, it, it was a very bad situation. And at the end of the day, what happened? There was a, a lie that was perpetuated that resulted in the, the theft of a life. And that's how severe in God's mind lying and stealing truly are as they impact the community of people in such a profound way. Uh, when this young man uh, was, was, was laid to rest in a funeral service it was interesting that they had a, an honor run, which was something I, I had never heard of before, but there was about 100 cars just drove in, in, in succession to the different places that he hung out. He, he, he loved horses, so there was a stable that they went to, and they spent time there. And then he also loved Corvettes. So there was a place out in the country that was a wide enough spot 
where the kids could bring their hot rod cars and do burnouts. And so they did burnouts there. And then there was another place that they went to where they hung out at the lake. And then they went to the place where he worked at. And it was so interesting to see how many people had been touched by his life in that, in that, in that, that honor succession. And in hearing all of this stuff, um, I, I, I'm starting to get this picture of this young man who, in the span of 18 years, had actually already done a lot to impact the community. And when my uncle was talking to different business people and persons like that, they had said uh, very positive things. Like one guy said, yeah, um, I had a flat tire. Austin just showed up, changed my tire, and then he was gone. Um, another owned a business and said, of all the busboys that I've had over the years that I've been here, I can only think of five that really stood out, and he was one of them. And as you, as you hear the outpouring of the response of people within the community of the imprint that he made, you start to see that, as a matter of fact, everyone who was a part of his world in some way was robbed of the positive value that he brought to their lives. And so just expanding on that, like I have, I want you to understand that in a real-world way, when God says, don't lie and don't steal, it's not something that we should be cavalier about because we don't always understand the unintended consequences that occur when we set things into motion. Have you ever heard of the, the, the movie that Jim Carrey was in called Liar, Liar? Okay, if you've seen that, maybe you've seen all that you need to see. But um, essentially, uh, he was within that character a, uh, the CEO of a company. And he would use whatever tactics that he could possibly find, truthful or untruthful, to leverage so that he could move himself and his interests forward. And oftentimes it would involve lying. And it was such a, 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 a habit that he had that it, that it just leaked into everything that he did, including the, the life of the members of his family. And the story, I think, is premised on his young son who's having a birthday party and he's, his dad couldn't show up. And he made some lame excuse as to why he couldn't show up. And when the kid is blowing out his candles, he said, I just wish for one thing. I just wish my dad would always tell the truth. And the irony of the story is that as it unfolds, Jim Carrey begins to engage people in conversations, his character does. And in the course of each of them, he's unable to say anything except the truth. Now, I don't know if you can appreciate that, but I think where it gets, as you're watching it, you're seeing that, yeah, he's in situations where sometimes it's something that we all can relate to, where we are either not quite telling things the way they are to protect ourselves, or not quite telling things the way they are to protect other people. And generally it's based on really probably one emotion, if not, if, if not one other response. And that primary emotion that leads us to lie 
is fear. It is the sense that if people really knew, then their view of me would probably change significantly. And so we do what we need to do to protect ourselves so we tell something that isn't quite the case. And in a more sinister way, perhaps we are, we're thinking about another person. And initially we see something in their lives that we don't agree with or something that makes us uncomfortable. And we start talking about them to other people. And then what may have been a concern or even a prayer concern evolves into gossip. And what the gossip does is it begins to shape a view that people who don't know that person very well start to take on. And the result of the gossip, believe it or not, is stealing. Because when a person is given a description or a personification from another person that isn't right, then in the eyes of that person, you've been robbed of your character. You've been robbed of your good name. You've been robbed of those qualities that may have otherwise given you the value or the social capital that, 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 that you had earned through investing in your character. It's just simply taken away because somebody chose words that destroyed And when God looks at a community of people who are going to be living together for a very long time, he's saying, don't do these things. And it's not because God is just coming up with an arbitrary list of things that we shouldn't do. It's because God knows our hearts. And he knows what's inside of us. And this this, this leads us to ask the question, what causes us to steal and what keeps us from telling the truth? And I, I, believe, I believe it's pretty simple. It really has a lot to do with our convictions. What we think about when we think about what is the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do. And maybe the convictions that brought you to church today are based on the fact that you're thinking this is the right thing to do. But that may run a little bit deeper. You may be here today because you know I've missed a few days or I've missed a few weeks or there have been things going on in my life that have caused me to realize that I need to do the right thing because the right thing is the healthy thing. It's the responsible thing. It is the thing that brings life to myself and life to the people around me because it keeps me on the straight and narrow. I, I, was, um, I, was, I had, to, had to do this, this funeral for Austin with a, a Catholic priest and I really had no idea how that was going to go. Um, and uh, I called him up on the phone and I, I was a little afraid because honestly some pastors can be, well they can be very controlling. And they can be sort of like, it's my way or the highway. And I thought, I hope I'm not getting that guy. And so I got to talking to him and I got to asking questions to get a sense of whether or not this was somebody that it was going to be fun to work with or it was going to be just a, a, a difficult thing to get through. And as I got to talking to him, he asked me a question. He said, can I, can I, can I just ask you 
how long have you been ordained? And I'm like, what would prompt somebody to ask the question, how long have you been ordained? And my immediate thought was, he thinks I'm incompetent. So then I thought, well, I said, well, I've been doing this for about 30 years. And you know what he said? You don't sound that old. And here I am being all suspicious and everything. And he's just saying, you sound like a young guy. And I just said, I'll take that as a compliment. And then I knew it was going to work. And uh, it was a joy working with this guy. 36-year-old Catholic priest and uh, just a very enjoyable person. And in the course of, uh, of our time together, we had actually a lot of conversation. And we talked about why we did what we do and why it is that we were called to do what we do. And I jokingly said to him, I think I'm called to do what I do because if I didn't, I pro- the Lord would have a hard time keeping me in line. And so the habit of knowing that I have to constantly go to work at a church does keep me in the right place. And I've been out of here for about two weeks. And it's not like I've done anything bad, but I've just felt that there was a diminishment happening in my, my, my vision and in my faith and my hope and in my, my love because I've been disconnected for so long. And when you're disconnected... And you have things happen in your world like a couple of deaths. You get disoriented. And when you get disoriented, you start to get a sense of, I'm not sure how the lay of the land works. And, and you start to feel like, my, my world is a little bit out of kilter. And have you ever heard of the, the, the phrase... To gaslight somebody. It's based on a 1940s play. And the play was about about a husband and a wife. And the husband was trying to get his wife committed to a mental institution. So what he did was every day he would change something small in the room or in the house. And she would say, well, I don't remember that vase being there. And he would say, oh, well, it's been there the whole time. And the next day she would get up and and perhaps uh, the the kitchen table would be turned in a different direction. And she would say, I don't remember the kitchen table being this way. And he's like, well, sure, it's been there. That's the way we've always done it, honey. And day after day after day, this sense of disorientation of her world began to create confusion in her mind about what was real and what wasn't real. About what was right and what maybe isn't right. And the one thing that I know that happens to us, if we don't keep our connection with God in the place that it needs to be, life will find a way to distort your view of reality. It will gaslight you. It will cause you to second-guess things otherwise. What keeps us from telling the truth? Sometimes it's just our, our own shortcomings, our own limitations. And, you know, it, it's funny... My, my mother-in-law 
sometimes she would tell stories, and I knew her long enough that occasionally that story would take on a life of its own. And I would ask myself, is she telling me everything that is true about the story, or is the story actually beginning to have its own reality? And in fairness to her, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and just say she was withholding a few things initially. But the thing that I do know about ourselves is that we are prone to lie and occasionally even prone to steal. Now, I don't know, oh, there's my wife right up there. She's looking at me like, hmm, wonder what he's going to say next. Well, since she's so far away, I'll tell you a story about her. And then I'll probably pay for it for the next week. But I'm just trying to be honest here, okay? She went into the store last year during the summer to, uh, to, to buy a few things. And she tried on a pair of sunglasses. And as uh, she tried them on, she's like, I kind of like these. And she stuck them on her head, and then she looked at a few more. And then she went, and she uh, looked at a few other items and uh, purchased something else, or, or bought, picked something else up to purchase, went to the cash register, purchased what she needed, came out, and uh, told me what she bought. And I said, that's great. And by the way, those are some awesome sunglasses you have on your head. They still have the tag on them. And she's like, oh my. And she walked out of the store without paying for the sunglasses. So I said, should I call the police now? Or should we just go back to the store so you can fess up? Well, I know her well enough to know that it's within her character to return what doesn't belong to her. And I know her well enough to realize that there is a deep conviction in her life about what is right and what is wrong. And the thing that I've always understood about her is that church has never been a negotiable. It has always been the responsibility of her as a human being to engage in worship on a consistent basis. And I think it's done a lot to define her character. And so I've, I've never really had any misgivings about our relationship with each other because I know that she's an honest person and she does the right thing. And she's dependable. And she's loyal. And all those qualities, I'm so grateful that I have uh, in, in a wife. But I'll, I'll tell on myself a little bit. Because I was trying to think when it was that I lied. And, you know, in, in a bald-faced way. And it's funny how the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing things to the surface that are a little bit unresolved. And in the community that I grew up in, um, I, I, had a, I, I, I had a car, kind of like Austin, uh, and I like, at his age, to do burnouts as well, uh, which I would do, only he at least had the courtesy of doing them out in the country where there was nobody else. I, however, being young and stupid and unchurched, decided I would do them in a more public venue. And I remember burning out on the main street in my car, being a dumb kid, and thinking, that was pretty cool, and I did it a couple times more, only to see that the third time that I did it, there were some red lights flashing in my rear view mirror. 
And I remember the police officer walking up to me, and being a small town, everybody knew everybody. And I thought, oh great, he's going to get me, and this is going to be painful. And if you know me well enough, uh, you know I'm pretty pain avoidant. And I thought, I just had a ticket not too long ago, and I'm fearful that if I get another one, I'm going to lose my license. Now, this is before Leonard became a Christian, okay, so don't judge me too much. So the police officer asked me uh, what I was doing, and so I'm confessing my sins in front of you. I told him I was very upset with my girlfriend, and I was taking out my frustration. And he believed me, and he just said, calm down, and he walked away. And I've always been haunted by that because, first of all, I lied to a police officer, and secondly, God, for some reason, said, you lied. You lied. I have, I have this nagging need to go back to my hometown eight hours away and, 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 and call up Officer Lamb and tell him, I got a confession to make. You remember that time, which he probably would never remember, and just to settle it with him. But the thing about lying is that it does something to your character where once you do it, it becomes convenient. And then it becomes a protective mechanism that you use whenever you need to use it. And the main reason you use it is out of fear. And many of us, when we come to church, we've had to deal with fear. All of us, before we came to know the Lord, have struggled with the issue of fear in our lives. It could be the fear of pain. It could be fear that is uh, resulting in, uh, that's somehow connected to shame. It could be fear that is uh, related to anger in our lives. And there's a whole variety of things that just come out of our lives because we are afraid. And all the way back to the beginning of the story of Adam and Eve, the first time that you heard that they were afraid is when they began to live in the lie. You know, the lie that said, who ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, uh, uh, she made me do it. And she's like, well, the serpent made me do it. And it was no ownership whatsoever. Just the overwhelming sense of fear because of the recriminations that would happen for being caught out. And we've been living that story ever since. But the wonderful thing about coming to church is I believe it is the one place that that deep-seated desire that we have to overcome the fears that motivate us can begin to be put to rest. And it is the one place that we can replace it with something that will change us completely. I'm sure this young lady loved Austin, but I'm heartbroken that there was a narrative that was spun up 
in order for him to be brought back into her world in some way. And I'm sure she had no idea that it was going to unfold in this way. And I'm sure the kid who believed the lie, who decided to take him on, who is now sitting in jail somewhere, living in the consequence of all of that, I'm sure both of their lives are just overwhelmed right now with the fear and the anxiety of the unknown, of the shame, of the shoulda, woulda, couldas. And the thing about I like about our faith, and the thing that I, I've appreciated about our family members, is that they haven't looked at those two in any way except sadness. And a desire that it could have been different. And really, actually a kind of love. That says, I, I hate to see those lives destroyed like Austin's was. And how do you get to that place? Unless you yourself have been forgiven. And this is what I think. Getting ready to land the plane here. I think that every experience that we have in life, every one of them, somehow is connected to our story. Everything that we do is shaped in how we view it by the story that we're a part of. And if we are believers, our story is tied to the wonderful story of God. It's the story that says we are living lives for Him. We are living lives in relation to Him. And everything that we do is based on that conviction that our lives and what we do now matters. The choices that we make to either tell the truth or to to deceive people. The choices that we make to either honor other people's property or to take it from them are based on the conviction that we have about the story that we're a part of. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that as your story and his intermingle, that he brought you into that story on the basis of grace alone and the forgiveness that allowed us to begin with a clean slate to have all the stuff that characterized our lives in such a subhuman way be forgiven and cleansed so that we could start fresh with a recalibrated set of ideas about how we should live life truly. No different than the Israelites. Their story is actually our story and we're just expanding on that. And when we take that story and we see at the very heart of it a great love that says, I saw you and I rescued you and I delivered you and then I called you to a place of hope. Not out of anything that you did or you deserve, but I did it because I love you. And it costs God a lot to show that love to you and I. People that 
are prone to lie and prone to steal. Because God says, I believe that something better can happen if love goes to work and, and fear is replaced with the power of that love. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your story begins to take on the characteristic of love because the fears that you have, maybe you lied to somebody because you felt like, well, I'm insecure. And God said, I am your security. Maybe you lied to somebody because you wanted to project onto them an image of who you want them to think you are rather than who you are. And God said, I've made you my child and that's reality enough. Maybe you've stolen something from somebody because you felt like if I don't steal, I won't have. And God said, whatever you, whatever you need, I will provide. I'm a provider. I won't give you too much and I won't give you too little. I'll give you just enough. I always will. I am trustworthy. And what happens for a believer who walks into that story is this becomes less and less the fear and the love becomes more and more. And so every day we make a choice and as a follower of Jesus our choice is either to operate out of fear because I think there are two dominant emotions that we have in life. And the first one is simply this. We fear. And the second one is love. And everything that we do somehow is drawn from one or the other. And our motivation is what causes us to either lie or tell the truth. And our motivation is probably based in one or the other. Now the thing that happens at the top is the act. The thing that happens as a result of our experience. And maybe all the experiences that you've had accumulating up to this moment have led you to a place where you say, I no longer want to live in fear, but I want to live in an environment of God's love. The same environment that the pastor just talked about when he and his family had to go through a season of grief. That love. You know the interesting thing about Jesus it's how he died. And where he died. He died in a way that said, God's become a part of us. And he's experienced through the limitation of becoming a part of us, everything that we've experienced. Yet, anything that happened to him that worked against him and did him harm, he did nothing to deserve it. And ultimately, as a demonstration of God's greatest act of love he in the form of the son died on a cross and the people that he died with were interestingly enough two thieves and one thief said I don't believe if you're, so, if you're such hot stuff take yourself down off the cross take me down with you and he just mocked it and thought what a ridiculous idea for the Savior of the world to be humiliated on the cross. Yet the other guy said, I'm a thief. You know I'm a thief. And you know the bad things I've done. 
but you are innocent. And the vision of life that you've offered, I believe truly is the way and the truth and the life. So when you enter into paradise, please take me with you. And at the end of the day, you either want to live in your despair and cynicism and darkness and disconnection and you hope against hope that somehow that's going to get you by. And then there's a lot of us who said, I don't want to choose to do that anymore. I just want the Lord to be a part of my life in a way that my life can change and be what it's supposed to be. And there's so many variations of how you can say that. But all of them summarize just one thing. Is that God wants you to be a part of his world and his story. So that he can bless you. You know the one saving grace in everything that we have gone through in our family? It's the, it's the crowning virtue of Christianity. You know what that is? Gratitude. Wake up in the morning, start to have a pity party, and the only way I can pull out of the tailspin is to just start thanking God for all the blessings. And thanking God that He's good. And thanking Him for all the stuff that He's placed in front of me, in front of people that I love, that just brings so much goodness into their world. We are a grateful people because we serve a good God.